So, Andrew, I'm actually working on my uh, body. I'm trying this uh, O-line diet, you know, just eating as much as possible. I don't, what do you think, like, how much workout do you think I can do with the O-line diet? Do I have to, p- to pump iron? Can I just nap through that? What are your <laughs> thoughts? Well, I feel like if you nap through it, you're probably going to add bad weight, which is a lot of fat and not really a lot of muscle. I think your question is, what are you really trying to do? I mean, like, what is bad weight, really? I mean, fat. I, I, I don't know that I believe in that stuff. Anyway, this is the Tell Me Slither podcast. Uh, welcome. I'm Logan Sandor. Here with me is my dietitian, Andrew Rodriguez. How's it going? Uh, I am not a licensed nor registered dietitian. Any advice taken is on your own recognizance. I am not liable for results and or failures. <laughs> I... I you did not make me sign a contract, so I, I, that, this is the first time hearing of any of this. Um, if you have any questions, you can address them to my attorney. And on the other line is his attorney, Artem. How's it going, Artem? It's going great out here. Not on the O-line diet. Actually, on like the wider receiver diet over here, so been good. Oh, okay. So uh, you can jump seven feet up in the air now and catch the ball one-handed. Is that what I'm hearing? Or... No, I can walk like five miles without breathing hard. Oh, wow. I mean, unless unless it's the Josh Gordon wide receiver diet, then it's all pot all the time. There's nothing wrong with that, <laughs> as long as you're in the state of California. Or Washington or Colorado. I, I hear they're working on legalization uh, in Georgia now. That's actually kind of surprising to me. Yeah, it'd be nice, but... Dare to dream, man. We shall overcome. Oh, now we're going to get sued. Okay, fine. But, Artem, you're our legal advisor, so you're going to have to work on that. But uh, this week, we're talking about the American Football Conference, which still the most frustratingly named conference out there, in my opinion, because I always get them mixed up with Conference USA and the Atlantic Coast Conference whenever I try to think of them. Also, I feel like I feel like they use the name American because it allows them to be first alphabetically of conferences. That's true. They got the double A's in there so they can work their ways around. Well, there. And, and American comes before Atlantic. So, especially on ESPN's listings by alphabetically, they're the first conference that shows up. I think it'll also help them if they run for office. You know, they can just prop that up on there. But have anyway. we have we had a Supreme Court case deciding whether or not a conference is a person? No, not yet. No, I I'm waiting to see that. And Artem will have to tell us legally if that is allowed. I haven't heard anything yes or no about that. But legal, I'll grant it. Okay, fair enough. In the state of Texas, the American Conference is officially a person. Got it. Does that mean we can execute it? Wait, is the yes de- the American Conference? as well as UCF, could be executed. <laughs> if they commit any crimes. Or, like, declaring they have a national championship when they don't. <laughs> hey, hey, you missed that conversation last week. Well, well, don't worry. I'm sure it'll come up again. Uh, but back on topic. Uh, so part of the thing with the American Conference is I think they're one of the key conferences arguing to become the quote-unquote power six. So let's take a second and actually look at that possibility. Artem, you're not necessarily seeing the same talent levels and the same uh, 
winning caliber across the conference. What are your thoughts? Do do the American teams stand up comparatively on a talent level? Could if, for example, they were considered a Power Five conference, could the American stand on its own against other conferences like the ACC, like the Big Twelve? Well, kind of what uh, Appalachian State has shown us, right? They're what an FCS school, but every time they play somebody, they're playing big. So I, I think it's. Part of it is the element of them not playing together against each other every year. So, you know, for example, the schools that play Georgia Tech every year probably get a little bit of an advantage because they have an idea and they probably have a, a, a regime of how they train for you guys now, whereas as opposed to a school who doesn't play that type of offense. So it's a little, it's a little different, something they don't see. They have to be more um, uh, diligent with uh, their eyes, making sure the play is happening, and then you know not mess up the the big pass play. So I, I think it's kind of different. I think because the the smaller schools play these schools once in however, uh, yeah, they play a, two or three big schools like that a year. But the big school sees that one small small school once and has it prepared just for them that one time. I think they get a little bit of an advantage. They play together or against each other every year. I think uh, you'd see the difference in power. Okay, fair enough. I mean, so you're really what you're saying is we just don't know right now if they could compare. Yeah, so if, uh, for example, um, A&M played some, I don't remember, some small school last year. Uh, I think it was UL Lafayette, actually. And they have maybe two playmakers, one on defense, one on offense. Um, and the guy on offense burned us, you know, uh, going into it. If you, if you don't know who the main guy is and how to stop him, uh, they're going to put up points on you no matter how small of a school they are and how, how less of a, a power they have. So um, even though we had, we outmatched them in talent, the their offense still put up points on the board, and um, we probably didn't prepare as well as we could have because I think big schools have a tendency of kind of overlooking the small ones and being like, all right, next week we have Clemson or – uh, Alabama. Let's let's start looking ahead to that and learning some stuff about that. These guys will be. Yeah, I mean, also you're talking about Texas A&M, and we know they lose to Alabama every year, so you know they're not that great of programs. But so they definitely have to take the two weeks to prepare. <laughs> um, but I guess let me phrase it to you a different way. Um, what do you think the American would have to do? Because even as you were saying that, you pointed out uh, you compared them to ULL, which is a quote-unquote, small-time program, what would they have to do to to make their team stand out to you other than declare themselves national champions? What would what would they have to do? Um, you know, it's kind of tough. Um, they have to they have to have a coach who realizes that you got to get fans in the stands no matter how you do it. Um, and, I mean, that's, that's how the big schools became the big schools. It's not... The attendance difference, uh, you know, UTSA is a huge campus, and they're just now barely starting to fill seats. Once they realize how big they are um, and how big they can be, using that whole area of San Antonio as a, a, a talent pool, I think they'll be able to start filling their stadium because of the excitement that's coming from the program. you got to have a coach that realizes that filling the seats is one of the more important things, merchandising, marketing, all that stuff. Um, it's not just about getting the wins. It's about getting the hype. No matter who you're playing, you know, th- that yearly game against uh, Navy or whoever, 
better be your two or three arrivals in the season that you play just to get people in the seats, people excited about the program two or three times a year. And every once in a while, be like Appalachian State and play uh, Tennessee, the the champions of life, or um, another school close enough to where you're like, all right, we could fight with the big guys. And once you start filling stands, you'll start being the powerhouse that you are. I think any school has the potential to do that, but you got to have a coach and a GM or an athletic director that's understanding of that. Okay, fair enough. Well, speaking of a team that's getting the hype, you know, I think we're giving them a lot of crap because UCF's declared themselves the national championship, but, I mean, they're doing exactly what Artem is saying. They're hyping themselves up. They're bringing the noise. They're trying to get more fans in there to their games. So let's get it. Let's get into it. UCF, college football champions, once LeBron loses this year. Officially, you know, they're coming out of it. They're, I think a lot of people are hyping them up going into this 2018 season, but they are losing their head coach, uh, Scott Frost. What, what are we looking at as far as their actual chances in the conference? So for the record, the University of Central Florida is the largest university in the United States with 63,000 students. How many of that is on the main campus? Holy crap. It has 11 campuses in Florida, so... Yeah. To be fair, but it is it is in terms of student population one of the largest in the country. A and M's apparently second, uh, fifty eight thousand. So congratulations. I think it's two thousand fifteen. You know the thing to me is them declaring themselves national champions is really no different than anybody else prior to the, the BCS. So I'm really cool with it. You know their question is is they brought in Josh Heupel. Heupel. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Yet again, as our as we had last week. Not a clue. Oh, I, it's been a week, and I still don't know. You know, I want to say he's coming from Oklahoma, so it's going to be interesting to see if if they can keep kind of what Scott Frost was running. Oh no, he's the OC at Missouri. Ooh, that is going to be interesting. You were close. <laughs> Oklahoma, Missouri. Well, he was he was the OC at Oklahoma from 2011 to 2014. So, I mean, he's an air raid spread. Kind of guy, and I think they've really got a good trigger man in Mackenzie Milton, who, if I remember correctly, is the America's Conference Player of the Year from last year, coming back. You know, I mean, he threw for 4,000 yards and 45 touchdowns. No, he's (laughs) – well, they actually return a lot of talent. I mean, if you look at it, not only do they have uh, Mackenzie, you know, they've got got some – Eight players on offense – Sorry. Six on defense. And so they've got a lot of talent coming back. And one of the other things I want to highlight is they're only they're out of conference schedule. They're playing UNC and they're they're playing UNC and they're playing Pitt. Oh good. There's there's a potential if they are able to beat the other teams in their conference, you know, Memphis, Navy, USF. They can go undefeated again this year. They could, but what people are going to say is, oh, you beat Pitt, U- Pitt and UNC, and no one's going to give you credit for it, depending on how what kind of season Pitt and UNC have, coming off of really poor seasons in the ACC last year. Yeah, that's, Artem, that's a fair point. I mean, uh, speaking of them potentially going undefeated again, do you think there's anything UCF could do to make it to a playoff th- this upcoming year? You know, I, I did a little bit of research on this. So, Hupel, however the heck you say this dude's name. Hoi, um, you know, I'm not that excited about him. Um, 
Yes, Missouri put up amazing offensive numbers in 2016, 2017 when he was offense coordinator, but they also turned the ball over for more than any other year that they had a different offensive coordinator there. Drew, uh, Drew Locke threw 10 interceptions and had several fumbles, and uh, they actually went 4-8, and eight, so their defense sucked. <laughs> um, bad. Uh, and uh, I guess uh, what I'm trying to find out right now is who their defensive coordinator is because that's what's really going to decide if they're going to do well or not. It's former um, Miami head coach said, Randy Shannon. So two years ago, he was at Missouri and he was offensive coordinator. And they were decent. Uh, they put up 31 points per game. Um, but they also gave up 31 points per game. So they ended up going 4-8. So I, I'm just—it looks like they can keep he, putting the offensive numbers that they did, uh, but they did have a lot of guys go in the draft. So um, what I like to see from them is kind of the the fluidity, right? So how do we how do we decide which schools are powerhouses? It's the ones that reload and are uh, pretty much guaranteed to get nine wins, the ones that can compete in every game, no matter how many guys they lost. Um, not necessarily win all the games. They're sure they'll have down years when they have a lot of freshmen and sophomores on the teams, but the ones that will still compete. So uh, last year, UCF, their defense sucked, um, and they lost their best guy. Um, what's his name? The draft, the one-handed dude. Shaquem Griffin. Um, and I think they lost every single corner they had. Because <laughs> I remember like 10 UCF guys went. So... Um, Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they have some freshman guys or some backups that were uh, learning the whole year and they'll, they'll play a little bit better. But honestly, I just don't see them doing as well. Um, uh, it's going to be – they have to play Florida Atlantic again this year, and uh, Kiffin's going to be a lot better in the second year. It's going to be a down year for Memphis and SMU just because they lost head coaches. But um, I don't know. I, I just don't see them winning that many games. I see them losing out. The, the, last, the last five games they have on their schedule. Like, yeah. That's a good example. Like East Carolina. East Carolina is a school that's been competitive. Last uh, like four or five years, they beat some big school, right? Uh, no. East Carolina has been absolutely god awful <laughs> since they fired Ruffin McNeil. Or, yeah. I think your information in, on. In, in 2015. Now, now Ruffin, Ruffin had him really rolling and beating some teams. But Scott Montgomery has been an absolute failure at East Carolina. Yeah, I think uh, I'll give you I'll give you some uh, I'll give you some leeway because I I mean I know that uh, yeah you didn't have as much time to research but yeah your information on ECU yeah Scotty was, Scotty's gone three and nine and three and nine in his last two years at East Carolina your, your ECU information is definitely out out of date <laughs> yeah well what it does is it proves my point right I, I haven't seen many East Carolina games either and if I did I would have known that but what I do remember is East Carolina playing people well. And for UCF, what I remember is uh, them having uh, God. Who's the Jacksonville quarterback now? Blake Bortles. Yeah, them having Blake Bortles, them running the ball really well, um, and competing, but not every year. I feel like every year they like every t- single time they get successful, they lose their head coach. And I, I, I think when they get to a point where their head coach stays with the program because he wants to keep um, molding it and keep building that powerhouse, that's when we'll know they've hit a new peak. Well, I mean, that's definitely some strong opinions. I think uh, they're definitely going to see some more challenge here. I don't know that I agree with you on the USF and the uh, Memphis issue, but 
Andrew, clearly you've got some thoughts to share. Do you want to go into it? You know, I'm not sure if, if anyone who's not in a Power 5 conference, and honest to goodness, anyone outside of a select few schools are ever good enough to fully prevent their coach from ever going anywhere. Well, and that's the system we've seen, is as soon as you really you're going to these regional, or what do we call them, group 5 conferences, to eventually get a job at a Power 5 conference. Or, or you're rehabilitating from, from a bad run at a Power 5 school. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's what it is. Again, I, I feel like there's a very select few schools in the country that are can't have legitimately can't have their coach poached by someone else, and that's such a small number of schools. So I guess what you're getting at is that this is not necessarily. Even though it's not unusual for UCF, this is not necessarily a hindrance in the long run. No, and, and I think UCF could have five or six undefeated seasons in a row and possibly having to replace a coach every two, three years. I don't, I don't think that's realistic. No, it's, it's not. I, I mean, I don't think it's realistic at all, but, but I think that being in, in the G5, unfortunately, that's just a factor of life. I mean, I think Artem does make a good point, though, as far as what we were talking about earlier. Regardless of what the talent shows and what the coaching is, the perception nationwide is that these programs can't stand on their own, at least not in the long term, and they're going to lose the talent even if they had it the last year, and that's why they're never going to get respect from the playoff committee at the end of the year. And I think Artem does make some good points towards that. I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the points as far as their performance. They're definitely going to get some challenges this year, but I don't know that they're going to fall off as significantly as you think, Artem. I don't know. but I, I just don't think they're going to go undefeated. And the problem, my main point, I know I wasn't there for the competition last week, but my main point with the UCF guys and just looking at some of the reactions from top recruits in the country, you're not going to buy recruits if you declare yourself a national champion without having a trophy. Um, And Alabama did one of the smartest things I've seen after they found out and had that little scuffle with UCF is every single time a recruit shows up on campus, they have them take a picture with the trophy so the recruit knows who won the national championship last year. Wow, I didn't realize. That I mean, do you really think Alabama and UCF are competing for the same recruits? I'm not, but I'm saying UCF's not really giving themselves anything by declaring themselves national champions. The publicity, I would say, is more negative than it is positive. Sure, nationwide, maybe, or for the UCF, uh, the, the the students that already go there. But you're not going to win any recruits over by saying that you won the national championship so in I, this day and age. When you I mean, I think I think you're going to win them against the schools you're competing with. I mean, UCF isn't a school that competes with Florida and Florida State that, and Miami uh, every year. You don't have to announce a national championship to do that. You I mean, how, how are they any different from any other school before the BCS era? Okay, I'm sorry, because we're kind of getting a communication delay, so I'm going to step in a little <laughs> bit. I do want to voice an opinion that I did touch on last week, which is... Artem, to your point, yeah, they're going to get negative attention, but I do want to say, just from a Hollywood aesthetic, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with negative attention. You want to have attention. When you're at a lower tier, you just want to have people talking about you at the end of the day. So I think UCF, 
Even though I don't think people are going to agree with it, I don't necessarily agree with it. I do think that it was a bold move by UCF to make the declaration, and I think it's a good move on their part as far as putting their voices out there. And as far as that goes, I think UCF is in a good position to kind of move forward. Now, before we get too wrapped up into this, obviously this has become a very heated conversation. I think I'd like to move on to the other competition that UCF is going to see in that division, which is Charlie Strong at USF. Now, USF, they've lost a ton of talent. They've got, they've got some very good recruits who are coming in, and I do think you know they're kind of reloading at the same level they were before. But the question is, are they going to pick up where they left off? Really, the only two teams kind of caused them issues last year, and that was Memphis and UCF. So, Artem, I'm going to start with you this time. You kind of already hit on, you don't think UCF is going to be as hot this upcoming year. What are your thoughts on USF? I mean, you've you've been rooting against Charlie Strong for a while. Uh, I don't actually, I don't remember what your stance on him as a coach is. What are your thoughts? I It really puzzled me why uh, he didn't do better at Texas than he did, but I was really happy that he didn't because um, I hate Texas. But, but, no, um, no. Tell us more. I yeah. think I think he's got a you know he, he's bringing some hype to USF. There's constant high level recruits talking about USF because he's over there. They visit and they love the guy as a coach. So um, they may be considering Alabama, LSU, USC, you know, or Notre Dame, and then USF will be on the list. So just the fact that that's happening brings a lot of noise to that program. Um, and uh, it was very interesting to see what he did last year with a guy who could barely throw but was a runner and how many points they put up until people figured out that, hey, you should probably shut down the run and then make him throw the ball. So I, I think um, I think they're going to reload on talent. Um, I think they used, they overutilized guys last year past their potential. And um, I don't know, I, I see them uh, doing a little bit better than uh, UCF, honestly. But we'll see on the November 23rd next year. So, Andrew, as uh, Georgia Tech fans, I think you know I've got one question to you. We play them the second game this year on the road. Uh, we going to have a chance against this USF team? I think they're going to beat us, and I'm going to cry because, you know, <laughs> that's what I normally do. Yeah, but, but, yeah, they're, they're obviously going to be the biggest challenge. I think they luck out because they get Tulsa as a crossover, and they, play, they get to go play UMass, who – UMass is very good. You know, plus their other non-conferences, Georgia Tech, Illinois, and Elon, all very winnable games for, for them. They've got to obviously replace the quarterback, as Artem talked about. Quinn Flowers leaving is going to be a big hole. He was a, a great, you know, piece and weapon for what Charlie Strong was trying to do offensively. Uh, yeah, they've recruited well. I think he hit that, too. They've definitely been in a place being in Florida, and there's definitely a place in Florida for that tier school the UCF, the USF, to an extent the FIU, FAUs of the world, not to sign the high-profile kid in Florida. They're probably going to Florida, Florida State, Miami, or somewhere else. But that next step down, you know, I don't see why South Florida can't beat Indiana for a Florida kid. Why South Florida can't beat, you know, your mid to low Big Ten schools on, on Florida kids. Are they going to beat SEC schools? Probably not. But, you know, I think they can win a lot of these battles to keep kids home. And I think that's been an interesting change as these schools, USF, UCF, have stepped up in Florida, is you're seeing a lot of these kids that are 
that tier, instead of leaving the state, staying home and having chances to play. Mm. That's fair. I don't necessarily agree with uh, what you said about it, them beating us. I do, I do think... That's just because I have no faith in us. I'm a negative yeah, Nancy if there ever was do, one. Has nothing to do with I the expect USF. us to lose every game, so if we win them, it makes me feel better. What about Alcorn State? I don't know, man. <laughs> fair enough. That's uh, the one he's worried about the most. Yeah, I know. It's the biggest <laughs> trap game on the schedule. Oh, God, we could be playing Kansas, and you'd be like, no. Dude, no we, we went 1-1 one and one against Kansas. We were one of the only P5 schools to lose to a Turner Gill-led Kansas team. Oh, so God. I was in Kansas. I was in I was in Kansas at that game, so Art, you just love anything involving Texas being terrible. I don't know. This is Artem, side side question, really quick. Is the is the reason that y'all are paying Jimbo so much just so you can say you're paying him more than Texas is paying their head coach? No, we offered Jimbo whatever he wanted so we can say that when Texas wanted him they couldn't get him and L S U wanted him couldn't get him, but we did. Okay. Fair enough. So, honestly, I wanted to talk about Navy next, but really I just kind of wrote on my schedule, like, Navy, okay, let's just let Andrew talk about Navy, because that's all Andrew wants to do is talk about Navy. Um, I want to say that I like this guy whose name I can't pronounce, Niyama Tololo. Niyama Tololo. Kenny. As, as a coach, I'm kind of surprised that no one's offered him a job out on the West Coast yet because I feel like he's a great guy. He was apparently in the conversation for the Arizona job before they hired Kevin Sumlin. So, yeah, I mean, well, I think it's just people, again, people I think are afraid of the offense. Well, which is which is really interesting because I'm pretty sure Kenny's talked about if he was any, at anywhere but Navy, he would run something different. But he realizes that running that at Navy... Makes is what helps sense. him win. Yeah. And especially having Ivan Jasper as your OC. And Navy's got to replace a quarterback, which is always interesting. They've got Malcolm Perry, who's maybe the most athletic quarterback they've had in a really long time. He's a freshman too, right? Uh, no, he was a junior. He was one of their starting slot backs last year. And he, play, he started and played in the Army game, which they've lost two in a row to Army. And you can't, you can't do that at Navy. That's, that's definitely one that they've got to win. The schedule sets up pretty interestingly. You know, they they have, unfortunately, they have UCF from the other side and Cincinnati, which I think Cincinnati is going to be a surprise team this year. And they have to travel to UCF, so that actually be a really exciting game. You know, Navy always has a lot of older players just because of the way the academy is set up. You've got to hope that they can keep the offense rolling and the defense might can actually stop somebody. Uh, again, I think they're going to be Memphis's biggest challenge in the West, them in Houston, probably. Yeah, so. probably. Well, I mean, the West is definitely more interesting. You've got more competition out West. You've got Memphis. You've got Houston. You've got Navy. Uh, you've got potentially other challengers, although I think it's pretty unlikely that you're going to see a fight out of... Uh, Tulsa or somebody like that, but it's you know, hard to say. SMU's really SMU's the SMU's the, the wild card to me because they brought in Sonny Dykes to replace Chad Morris, and they brought in Rhett Lashley as the OC from Auburn. So they're definitely going to be you know a strong continuation of what Morris was running there offensively, you know, and he had he had done a pretty good job in 
you know, trying to build that program up. I mean, he had yet to have a winning record, which is kind of crazy. No, he went seven and six. Yeah, yeah, he was. He just missed a no, and they, they lost the bowl game. Yeah, yeah, they've turned things around. So he he turned that around, which got him the Arkansas job. So it's interesting to see because Sonny Dykes has had success. He was good at, I believe, Louisiana Tech before he had that just weird trip to Cal Berkeley that still doesn't really make a lot of sense because I, I mean Cal Berkeley's a weird place, obviously. But, you know, I mean, he went 19-30 and 30 at Cal and got fired. But, yeah, he had, he had two good years at Louisiana Tech, so it's going to be interesting to see if the step down really helps him out. Artem, what's your perception? I think we, we're kind of seeing that that division is more wide open. Artem, I want to hear your thoughts yeah. uh, as far yeah. as... I wanted to talk a little bit about the SMU thing. I think that was a really weird situation, and we're going to see some very interesting things coming out of uh, SMU. I think Chad Morris left when... He could get another job because he was honestly, if you look at his uh, record, he was doing worse every year. And at first, he was beating schools like Houston um, and Navy, but then he started losing losing those games, and he went from like a nine win season to what seven wins. I think he got out just at the right time. But also, it was a really weird situation. Usually, you know, the staff sticks around and uh, coaches the bowl game, but you had. Um, Who's the who's the Cal coach that came in? What's his name? Sonny Dykes. Sonny Dykes. Yeah, he came in and he coached the game, and they looked awful. So uh, I don't know. Like I feel like that kind of situation, you're 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 not really starting off on a good foot because because of how bad they looked. So it'll be interesting to see how they recover throughout the year. And uh, you know, when you're a new head coach who comes in and has to give a kind of a good impression of how you are, and you flop that badly. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they recover from it. Um, Navy, though, I, I, I'm, I'm really glad he stayed at uh, Maya Tololo. What's his name? Kenny. Cool. Just call him Kenny. Just call him Kenny. We'll call him Kenny. All right. Uh, I'm really happy he stayed at Navy. I think Arizona probably would have been a good job for him, but, you know, he's, he's got somewhat of a dynasty at Navy almost. Uh, he's a legend uh, at this point, and uh, if he stays any longer, uh, if they haven't named their stadium yet, they will name the stadium after him. Guy has a lot of success, and, and, and even his bad years are some schools' good years. So um, I'm excited to see what they do uh, this year. Um, yeah, they got beat by Army twice, but I think those were uh, uh, flukes a little bit. I think Army got lucky. Well, <laughs> and I, I think Jeff Malkin's done a really good job rebuilding that Army program too. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, you're like a fucking Kenny. Kid. Kenny Kenny's missed one bowl game in the the ten seasons he's been at Navy. I love seeing Andrew's energy. Whenever we talk about Navy, he's like a kid with in the back of the class. He's like, Look, me, me, me. I, I have fully and officially accepted that the option is my Lord and Savior. And so, you know, when you, when you, when you bring that into your heart, you want to spread the good word that is option football. Well, what is the good word? <laughs> to hell with Georgia. Georgia. All right. So, yeah, I mean, without getting too hung up on that, I would like to bring it to my pick to win the conference, actually, this year. Memphis. Honestly, I they lose a little bit of talent on offense, especially their deep threat in Anthony Miller, but not enough to really worry me. They've got standout talent with Patrick Taylor Jr. They've got Daryl Henderson at running back. Uh, they got Tony Pollard, running back wide receiver. They're not going to be as good 
as they were last year, but they're still going to be explosive. And they had one of the most explosive offenses in the country last year. The defense is the real question because uh, their defense was god-awful last year. And that's really what cost them in some close games against, uh, well, the close game against UCF. Because they played UCF twice. They lost horribly the first time. The second time it really came down to a shootout. And that was where they lost at the end. Um, if they have a defense, decent defense, I think they could win everything pretty easily. I think they got a shot at it. Andrew, I'm going to start with you. Artem, you kind of voiced your opinions earlier. I'll let it get back to you in a second. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Memphis? Memphis has to replace their offensive coordinator. Um, Daryl Dickey left Memphis to go to Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they also have to replace the quarterback. Raleigh Ferguson put up a lot of numbers and was really great. They've got two guys they're looking at, David Moore and Brady White. David Moore is a... You know, he's a sophomore, but didn't really play much last year. Brady White's a grad transfer from Arizona State, so it'll really kind of be interesting to see if, you know, he kind of fits into what they they, they kind of try to do. But like you said, they do have a lot of talent coming back. I, I do feel they are the favorite in the West. I have to agree with you on that side. They do get UCF again in the regular season. They do get the joy of um, East Carolina, which helps out a lot. because. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, that, now, now. To be fair, they do have to go to Greenville. Oh no! And Dow and and Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, but not that. Oh lord. Um, their their non-conference games are Mercer, Georgia State, South Alabama, and at Missouri. So you can definitely see them going three and one out of conference. I hope they beat the shit out of Georgia State. Wait, fucking, I fucking, I fucking hate Georgia State. I don't want to. You think they're gonna lose to Missouri? I do. Oh my god! What? see in Missouri that I am not. Drew Locke. Okay, fine. <laughs> but yeah, they've got to be the favorite. The Navy games, second week of the season at Navy is going to be an interesting one, and then the UCF one in October. Other than that, I, I think they should have the weapons and the talent to win the West, which you know may set them up with another UCF rematch. Hopefully it goes better for them than it did last year. Gotcha. Alright. Now, Artem, I know you weren't as high on Memphis... Do you think they've got a shot, or is it purely on another team in the West? I don't know where you got the I wasn't as high on them thing from. I think they have the most stability out of that whole division. Um, yeah, they lost their um, offensive corner, Daryl Dickey, but um, doing some research on him, uh, kind of watching what he did over there, he was there for five years, and uh, dude is able to go and find athletes that nobody else does and kind of put his faith in them and they turn out to be the studs for Memphis. So I think after five years of stocking that kind of talent and developing that kind of talent there, I think he's going to leave a good legacy. Uh, Mike Norvell is still there. This is going to be his third year, so um, it's kind of you know the make-it-or-break-it year. He's 18-8 and eight total. That's a great win percentage for a school like Memphis, and I think this may be his best year yet. I mean, we'll, we'll see how it turns out, but I think they have the most stability out of everybody else. Um, they did lose their quarterback, but um, that, that's a run-first offense. And uh, I think uh, this year um, they're going to show us they got some more talent behind Ferguson. Okay. So I think it's fair. We, we've hit on pretty much all the contenders, unless anybody wants to bring up Cincinnati. Uh, I, so to be fair, I don't think Cincinnati is a contender this year. But I do think that Luke Fickle is setting Cincinnati up 
to to be a program in the future. He's really recruited well there and done a good job to to really mine that second level of Ohio recruits and to get guys to come to Cincinnati. They've got a decent amount coming back. You know, I feel like they've got a, a manageable schedule. Unfortunately, they open at UCLA, which is going to be rough. But I think there are enough games on their schedule to where they have a chance to make a bowl game. Again, I, I think it's a team that's making incremental steps in the right direction, and I think Fickle is doing a good job to set them up to be a good program. Right, I, and I do agree. I just We're talking about next year. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen next year. No, I don't think it will happen next year either. Um, so I guess with that in mind, uh, who are we picking to win this one? Artem, I'll start with you. Who do you think's got the best chance of winning the conference this year? I'm going to go with Memphis. Okay, fair enough. Andrew? I think UCF repeats, and I think they beat Navy in the championship game. Huh. Well, so you're that high on Navy, huh? I'm always high on Navy. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that's fair. I'm a, I'm with Artem on this one. I, I was high on Memphis last year. I'm high on Memphis this year. Honestly, I think USF, if anybody, comes out of the East, but that's just my opinion. I also just really fucking like Charlie Strong. Yeah, I, I think the one team... If we really had to, if I had to pick a huge surprise team, I think it's Temple. Temple is the one team we haven't talked about. I think Jeff Collins has done a good job. They went seven and six last year. They beat FIU in the Gasparilla Bowl. Okay. You know they their schedule sets up pretty well. Um, unfortunately, they get Houston. From the other side, they do get Tulsa, which helps because, you know, as we all know, Tulsa is a complete dumpster fire. That guy might get fired. Phil Montgomery may be done in Tulsa. And they've got a quarterback coming back. They've got some weapons coming back. And as I said, I think they've done a really good job. Jeff Collins has in his first year going 7-6, and six, trying to keep the Matt Rule years going. And Temple's a school, I think, that he can build. And Jeff Collins is a great recruiter. So I think that's going to help them a lot in that in that part of the country. On that note, I don't want people to think we forgot about any of these minor teams, but let's be frank. We're not expecting any of these guys to really compete. So I'm going to call this segment, Who Do We Think Will Do Best Out of the Worst? So of the four to bottom, we got UConn, we got ECU, we got Tulane, and we've got Tulsa. Of those four, who are we expecting to come out of the uh, of the conference uh, with a better record, so I do want to apologize. I know I've got a lot of ECU fans that I work with. I, personally, I like the ECU fans. I love ECU. I love the fan base. I love the program. I love that they're pirates. I love that they're purple. I've been to Greenville. I think it's awesome. I've met a lot of really cool ECU fans. I will never forgive the ECU administration for firing Ruffin McNeil. And not only was that firing absolutely a horrible decision, they followed it up with an even worse hire of Scotty Montgomery. I mean, you really hated the hire of Scotty Montgomery. I, it's not It's not so much Scotty. I just I don't like that they got rid of Ruffin McNeil. I think Ruffin was a great coach in a great place, and he was an ECU alumnus. You, you know, so it's really tough. You know, the guy's from Lumberton, North Carolina. He's, I mean, he's ECU through and through. And he had one down year, and they kicked him out. So... Well, fair enough. All right, well, UConn, Tulane, Tulsa. Andrew? I am 100% 
riding that green, angry green wave. Green wave. I think Willie Fritz is a great coach. They went five and seven last year. They've got nine starters on offense coming back, including Jonathan Banks, who really developed as a great dual threat quarterback. And Fritz has shown a lot of success with dual threat quarterbacks in his career. Kevin Ellison at Georgia Southern is really the one that jumps out to me. And I think he's got them in a position. Now, unfortunately, they they do have a tough schedule. They have to play at Houston, at South Florida. Um, They miss UCF, which helps them a little bit. They do get Cincinnati and East Carolina as their their, and South Florida. Yeah, as their crossovers. Um, They also have to travel to Ohio State. R.I.P. Tulane. Uh, yeah. God bless you. Uh, I think their opening week game on August the 30th against Wake Forest is going to be really, really interesting. I'm not going to say they can beat Wake, but I think that game's going to be significantly closer than a lot of Wake fans really want it to be. I uh, don't know if I believe that. Artem, Artem might have some things to say about that, too. I mean. Oh, my gosh. I'm looking at their uh, Wikipedia of all places has this wonderful graph called all-time record versus other AAC teams, and it's horrible. It's, this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Most of these winning percentages are in, like, the 200s. I, I don't see Tulane doing well at all, especially since they're 9 and 15. It's a, In this three seasons, you know, in his fourth season, he's going to have to win the conference potentially to stick around, or at least get eight wins. I uh, I don't know about that. I mean, it's Tulane. Like you said, they don't exactly have a great winning record. Tulane has more SEC titles in football than Texas A&M does. Tulane, oh, had, Tulane has three of them. Gauntlet thrown down. <laughs> 34, 39, and 49. Now, they haven't been an SEC team in... 60 years, 70 years, but they were a founding member of the Southeastern Conference. So in 15 years, they won three titles. <laughs> in three years, we'll talk. Or uh, in 12 years, we'll talk. Wait, how many how many title, SEC titles does Georgia Tech have? We, I think we have five. Oh, okay. So we definitely got... We, we, were, got, all, we were also a founding member of the Southeastern <laughs> back, Conference. Back in the day. Okay, back on topic, though. So, <laughs> all right, Arnold, you're not picking Tulsa. Uh, sorry, we're not. you're not picking Tulane. I don't think you're picking ECU uh, unless, I mean, maybe I missed something. So that means UConn. It's hard. All these teams are garbage. We're not asking you to pick either. We're not just trying to say that their one is good. We're just trying to say of the four, which do you think will do better? Uh, that's tougher than, like, uh, I don't know. It's tougher than a lot of things. Um, UConn? I'm going to go with UConn. That's going to be my pick. For whatever reason, they seem to have some decent corners, and, and like third or fourth year in a row, I hear a UConn corner go in the first two rounds. So um, I'm gonna pick UConn. So you're actually going farther away from home. I was kind of thinking you might pick Tulsa. No, not seeing much good there. I mean, I will say UConn has currently got the Elizabeth bump, and that counts for a lot. She's, yeah, but she's not going to be there when the season starts. You don't know that. Uh, I know, I do know that. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Andrew. I'm picking Tulane. I think of those teams, they've got the most potential. Tulsa could theoretically do something, but Tulsa is... Uh, Tulsa's like the ACC. It's just so chaotic. I don't know what the fuck to think about Tulsa. Um, UConn is probably the most average. ECU is going to be trash. Sorry, ECU. UConn could do some things, but I'm thinking they'll probably be 4-8. and eight. 
Tulane might make a bowl game. Hard to say. Uh, Tulsa, Tulsa, Lord help me, I don't know what to think about Tulsa. Um, I think, I think Philip Montgomery Tulsa is probably getting fired at the end of the season. Well, I think that wraps up our summary of the American Conference. Uh, Artem, since you were out last week, I do want to give you a chance to talk about your cult um, of Texas A&M. Uh, give us some thoughts uh, going in of what you saw last year uh, and what your hopes are moving forward. I, I saw my dreams crushed and my good image I had of someone fall down and shatter. Uh, but the offseason has been good. I, mean, um, I think our, our program uh, obviously has a lot of hype nationally, but I think uh, there's a lot of internal differences. Things are running differently. Things are happening differently. There's different things being said. And, uh, they're all pretty good things, honestly. Um, we didn't have a tight end, <laughs> or we had tight ends on campus, but we weren't using them. We are using them as a six offensive lineman, so now we have a tight end that we actually use, and he went for 150 yards and two touchdowns in our spring game. So that was interesting to see. Uh, some play action and uh, some handing off the ball on the one-yard line was good to see. Um, and then um, kind of to summarize the difference between um, uh, the previous Stoneman era and the era of Jimbo Fisher, uh, when I was watching the, um, the spring game last year, or the years before that when someone was there, uh, what you would see was you know people, players realizing that it's a spring game and players kind of stopping um, play when something was when, when something went wrong. So they realized it wasn't a real game, so they didn't really care if they wanted to perform really hard because they didn't want to get injured. Um, in this 2018 spring game, there was a one play specifically, and uh, I'm going to find it and show you guys later, but uh, I've never seen so much effort on such a pointless play in my entire life. Um, what happens is uh, they're kicking an extra point whatever, I think it's the maroon team's taking an extra point on the white team. Uh, extra point gets blocked. And then the ball starts squirreling around, and the kicker, of all people, runs to pick the ball up so he can carry it into the end zone. He doesn't jump on the ball. He picks the ball up and he starts carrying it. And then, like, 30 people jump on the kicker, and there's this whole ball scrumble thing that happens. And it's probably the most effort I've seen out of our team in three or four years. Um, so, needless to say, me and a lot of other Aggies are pretty excited about seeing that kind of effort on the football field. I think uh, our um, our hopes are a little lower after seeing what someone can do with a lot of talent and, and more, more like not do. Um, so we're expecting a seven or eight game win season, but I think we're also hoping uh, the games will actually be good and we'll see some more plays like that block extra points. Well, I think that's a good that's a good take on it. I think, uh, I mean, it really sounds like that uh, Jimbo is bringing some revitalization to that program, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what Texas A&M has to offer going forward. Although my parents may not be as high on that as I am, given their Alabama fans. A and M gets Clemson week two. Yeah, in week four we get Alabama. So no, it's two two weeks later you get Alabama. Yeah, that's what he said. Week four. Oh yeah, so that'll be. I mean, you guys actually have a pretty decent schedule. You get Kentucky and South Carolina on the other side. Which South Carolina should be pretty good, but Kentucky's not great. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. Yeah, don't assume Kentucky is uh, anything to sneeze at. Yeah, but it's it's in College Station. Yeah, yeah well, we'll see. I, I think Kentucky can go suck it 
this last <laughs> season was their uh, eight or nine win season that they get every four years. But uh, South Carolina and uh, Arkansas still have yet to beat us since we joined the SEC. We nice. play South Carolina every year. Well, then, since we're no longer staying on topic, I just want to say the only thing that matters about Kentucky this year, can they beat Florida? No. <laughs> that's, that's like acting can Clemson basketball win in Chapel Hill. No, it's no. not going to happen. Fair enough. Okay, well, it's been fun, guys. Thank you. Thanks, as always, to our listeners for listening in to us being idiots. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, send us an email to tomeatleather.gmail.com. And sit, hit us up at our Twitter account at Leather LA, with a T-H-R uh, on Twitter. As always, um, we get the Wild Wild Mountain West next week. We're looking forward to it. Talking about San Diego State and Boise State and maybe Fresno State. And the Zoomies of Air Force. No. Aww. <laughs> really, we're only talking about those three teams. That's about it. Wait, yeah, wait. I'm really not arguing with you about that. <laughs> Anyway, uh, our, to all those out there in Texas, mainly Artem and his uh, small child, you y'all have a good rest of your night. Oh. See ya. <laughs>